CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Tuesday, May 30th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine, here again with your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, the debt ceiling, top headlines, and more. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin, Ether, and many other top-traded tokens are up in markets trending higher. BTC climbed above $28,000 after leaders in Washington came to an agreement on a deal to raise the U.S. debt ceiling, which we'll talk about more in the headlines. But even so, Bitcoin appears to be on track for its first monthly loss since December. The leading cryptocurrency by market value traded as high as $28,400 late Sunday, up from lows of about $25,900 the previous week. Prices, however, are still down about 5% for May, in what would be the first monthly decline of the year, assuming things hold through Wednesday. Ether at the moment, though, is up modestly for the month, after trading in a tight range for most of it. An analyst at Crypto Finance AG said in a morning note that he sees potential for Ether and other altcoins to outperform, thanks to positive narratives surrounding the Ethereum network, such as the all-time high in staked Ether we told you about last week. And all of this comes as bond traders have reinstated bets that the U.S. central bank will keep interest rates elevated for longer, in response to what's been described by credulous commenters as sticky inflation and a resilient labor market. Earlier, interest rate traders expected the Fed funds rate, that's the benchmark borrowing cost, to fall to 4.5% or lower by the end of this year year from the current rate of 5%. However, the market no longer foresees the Fed implementing rate cuts this year. We'll see how long this lasts. Quote, We can assume that the liquidity wave of lower inflation has now run its course, and the market needs a new driver and theme to lift prices higher, said the head of research and strategy at crypto services provider Matrixport. Continuing, The tech sector continues to be correlated with BTC, but the former has found new life with AI and ChatGPT, which is not benefiting BTC yet. End quote. Bitcoin has decoupled from Wall Street's tech-heavy Nasdaq index, which rose nearly 8% over the course of May. A volatility trader from crypto asset management firm Blowfin said that the continued high interest rate environment would keep the odds against Bitcoin bulls, quote, In a high interest rate environment, high-risk-free returns such as money market funds are more attractive to investors, which means the lack of liquidity in the crypto market continues, end quote. Meanwhile, the founder and CEO of quant-driven crypto trading firm TDX said that Bitcoin's 4% rise on Sunday was a relief rally triggered by U.S. leaders announcing that provisional deal to lift that $31.4 trillion debt limit hit back in January, and further gains may be hard to come by. Quote, 
The rebound we saw on Sunday night and Monday morning was very much a relief rally on the back of the U.S. debt ceiling package. The market will likely return its focus to the possibility of another 25 basis point interest rate hike at the June FOMC, that's the Federal Reserve's board meeting, and the potential liquidity drain as the Treasury needs to sell at least $500 billion in debt in the short term to refill its cash position, which will weigh on risk assets, end quote. Taking a step back, another potential driver behind this month's loss is short-term traders taking gains. The seven-day moving average of the short-term holders, that's the STH's spent output profit ratio, that's also known as the SOPR, has recently moved back above one, according to blockchain analytics firm Glassnode. Quote, after a brief stint of coins moving at a loss, the metric is now back above one, analysts at Blockware Solutions said in a weekly newsletter, continuing, this is bullish for near-term price action as it shows capitulation from short-term holders, end quote. And in practice, what that means is a reading above one suggests the average short-term holder in the market is selling coins at a profit, while a reading below one is considered a sign of capitulation. Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk Markets Analysts, Lila Ledesma, Amkar Gudblay, Shuri Amawa, and James Rubin. Bitcoin is currently trading at $27,939. That's up 5.5% since our show on Friday, while Ether is trading at $1,911 per token. That's up a bit more than 5% over the same time period, according to the Coindesk Market Index. And speaking of the Coindesk Market Index, we're looking at an absolute reading this morning of 1,238. That compares against Friday's reading of 1,174 and represents about a 5.5% across top traded tokens over the long weekend. And shifting to traditional markets, in the U.S., markets traded higher following agreement by U.S. officials that they'd spend more money on each party's priorities without making any even marginally significant attempt to deal with historically high annual deficits. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained a point on the news, while the S&P 500 rose by 1.3% following the long weekend. The Nasdaq Composite, up about two points. In Europe, markets traded mixed but mostly higher, with the regional stock 600 up about half a point, London's FTSE 100 down two-tenths of a percent, and Germany's DAX up just under a full percentage point. In Asia, the story was the same, but the numbers were a bit more exaggerated. China's Hang Seng Index dropped by eight-tenths of a percent, while the Shanghai Composite rose slightly, up about a third of a point. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 gained one and one-third of a percent. In commodities markets, Brent crude, that's the international benchmark for oil, dropped by almost 2% from Friday, priced at $75.51 per barrel. Gold, meanwhile, gained up about one and a third, currently changing hands at $1,974 per troy ounce. Shares in troubled bank First Republic rose from $0.29 on our Friday check-in to $0.31 in pre-market trading this morning, up almost nine points in percentage terms. Today's traditional markets coverage draws from MarketWatch. Today's top story is, of course, the likely resolution to the latest round of debt ceiling drama. As we've told you on recent shows, the most likely outcome was a whole lot of virtue signaling, followed by a deal that would effectively change nothing about the trajectory of U.S. spending, since both parties, although they may disagree on spending priorities, with the Republicans preferring increased military spending and the Democrats preferring increased social spending, but ultimately with each side largely supportive of the other's goals. So both parties got what they wanted, which was not just an increase in the debt limit to facilitate planned spending, but actually the suspension or even temporary elimination of the debt ceiling to be resumed at whatever amount has been spent after the next primary election cycle. Not exactly the rational tempering that Republicans had stated they wanted. I'm going to go off script here for a second and just talk. Politically speaking, I've felt disenfranchised for most of my adult life. And these days, I'm having fun asking people a simple question that illustrates the problem. It goes like this. Do you support the dumb party or the evil party? The answer, of course, is always and invariably that you support the dumb party and work against the ambitions of the evil party. 
The joke, of course, is that this is true irrespective of political affiliation of the person you ask, with the idea being that their own party is dumb because no matter the promises made, they can never seem to deliver on what they actually say they want to accomplish, while the other side is always evil because it explains why you'd prefer and continue to support the dumb ones. In practice, both parties are dumb and both are evil, and they're all lying essentially constantly in ways that maximize their personal power and wealth while keeping support in check by pointing to the other guys and saying, see, it could be worse. All told, this was a highly predictable, very disappointing reminder of just how dysfunctional our system of politics has become under the modern bipartisan regime. At least, that's my opinion. Turning to international news, according to a report released Friday, the European Central Bank, or ECB, has finalized prototypes for a digital euro as it prepares to make a decision over whether to move ahead with the proposed central bank digital currency, better known as a CBDC. Europe's central bank says its potential CBDC could be designed to boost innovation, but appears more skeptical about using Web3-style distributed ledger technology and smart contracts. And that's not surprising, given the whole point of decentralized technology is to decentralize who has power over the currency. Traditional monies, on the other hand, are designed to very clearly vest that control and the power that comes with it in the hands of typically obscure, unelected bureaucrats who, despite their stated expertise, seem to make the wrong decisions most of the time for normal people. It's just the latest window into the minds of policymakers and central banks who recognize both the threat these technologies pose to their ongoing control, but also to a certain extent their inevitability. Their moves to date have been to demonize and or seek to co-opt the narrative while retaining complete control and, in fact, in many ways setting the stage to increase their power and surveillance efforts. But I digress. A member of the ECB executive board wrote in a letter to the European Parliament, quote, This exercise shows that it's possible to smoothly integrate the digital euro design choices into the existing payment landscape while leaving ample scope for innovative features and technologies, end quote. The EU is just one of many jurisdictions around the world currently contemplating a central bank digital currency, and running into many of these same, almost philosophical issues. That list also includes the Bank of England and the Reserve Bank of India, or RBI. And speaking of which, the Reserve Bank of India, in its annual report out this morning, said that it's trying to expand the global narrative around cryptocurrencies beyond, quote, financial stability and integrity to macro-financial and cross-sectoral implications and risks of crypto assets, end quote. This is perhaps the first time that the Indian Central Bank has explicitly articulated its intent to become an important stakeholder in the current conversation around global crypto rules, even as it reiterated its concerns. India currently holds the president's seat of the Group of 20, also known as the G20 Nations, giving it the power to set the agenda, and it's an interesting moment for that to be true. At the start of the nation's presidency, India's finance minister said that the regulation of crypto assets should be an international priority and will be a big topic of discussion for the group during its tenure. Back in February, India announced that coming global crypto rules would be based on a synthesis paper jointly produced by the smartest folks in the room on the international scene, which of course is the International Monetary Fund, or IMF, and the aptly named Financial Stability Board, or FSB. The FSB sets international standards around global financial stability and is expected to publish its individual recommendations for regulating crypto and stablecoins in July of this year. We can't wait. The RBI's report also revealed that the central bank is prioritizing discussions on CBDCs with, quote, a focus on their macro-financial implications, end quote. The report also mentioned that India's ongoing retail and wholesale central bank digital currency pilots will be expanded by, quote, incorporating various use cases and features, end quote. The Indian retail CBDC pilot began in December of last year and by April of this year has onboarded more than 100,000 customers, although given the size of the nation and the scope of the project, that actually isn't saying much. 
Coindesk Sabotage Singh has more on this one in the show notes. But before we move on, it's worth noting that this is just the latest round of not so subtly expressed alarm over the threat that cryptocurrencies, and specifically Bitcoin, represent to nations attempting to create local currency ecosystems that largely isolate their citizens from other global monies. The challenge, of course, is that given the option, a lot of money held in India's native currency would rather be somewhere else. It's not a great currency to be sitting in, as many around the world aren't. Capital controls work well against traditional currencies because banks are heavily regulated entities obligated to follow a nation's rules. They're companies. They need that permission. A token like Bitcoin, however, knows no borders and has no company that can be sanctioned. To the extent it remains a largely niche money, used mostly by ideological fans of what it represents or as a speculative tool, it presents a hypothetical but not immediate risk. But as our age of monetary mania continues to swell towards an eventual crescendo, the mere existence of an alternative, an escape hatch, a life raft, is something that can't be tolerated by the folks running things. The stakes are too high. And that's probably why Prime Minister Modi has, at various times over the last few years, said that international rules are desperately needed. That's because, to the extent rules are national, many nations will play the arbitrage game, both rendering national laws much less effective and giving safe haven to a certain extent to continue to build out these technologies in ways that could ignore their local laws, you know, like a decentralized system. And the stakes are high. Our creaking financial system, built on dollar dominance, has high levels of inflation, whether at home or exported to nations like India, effectively baked into the cake at this point. And national governments need everyone to share the pain with no way to escape it. But there is a way to escape it. At least we think that's true. And that's what the form of money that requires broad consensus to make any changes to monetary policy. A level of consensus which, at least for economic policy change purposes, has never been achieved and may in practice be found to be impossible. And that, although small, is the reason why little Bitcoin is big scary to the most populous and powerful nations in the world. And that's why it's a story we'll be watching. And finally, prosecutors said in court filings yesterday that criminal charges Sam Bankman-Fried's lawyers have sought to dismiss, including technicalities around his extradition back to the U.S. and campaign finance violations, are valid. Back in early May, Bankman-Fried filed pretrial motions to dismiss most charges levied against him by U.S. prosecutors, with his defense arguing procedural issues, the irrelevance of some U.S. laws given FTX's non-U.S. location, and that the charges exceeded the agreed extradition terms. The motions did not seek to dismiss securities fraud and money laundering charges, which he seems resigned to face in court. Prosecutors contend that the extradition treaty with the Caribbean nation allows for post-extradition charges with the consent of the extraditing country, and any charges presented post-extradition in new indictments do not violate this rule, which is apparently what they've done. One of the charges alleges that Bankman-Fried broke the law when he offered some $40 million to unnamed Chinese officials to convince them to unfreeze crypto accounts. On the allegations of a campaign finance law violation, which centers around Bankman-Fried having donated money in the names of FTX executives, prosecutors said that arguments don't hold up because the indictment details exactly how Bankman-Fried worked to obscure the source of the funds for donations. Bankman-Fried is due in court in New York, and that's a story that we will be paying very close attention to. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, send the show an email at podcast at coindesk.com or you can email me directly at adamlevine at coindesk.com. If you like what we're doing, we always appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. Have a great rest of your day and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Markets Daily.